There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. It's Monday, July 18th. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV Download, brought to you by the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. Get an estimate and learn more at steamfitters-602.org. Today, we take a look at the hotly contested race for governor in Maryland. Tuesday is primary day, and Democrats and Republicans alike are jostling to make it to the general election. WTOP's Kate Ryan tells us who the candidates are and where the governor's race stands. This is kind of, it's anybody's win, and that's what makes it fascinating. And in Howard County, Maryland, a teenager actually made it onto the ballot before being able to buy a cigarette or a lotto ticket. WTOP's Ivy Lyons tells us about 17-year-old Druvak Marani's story. Whenever he signed up to start this campaign, he also was just graduating high school. Thanks for joining us. I'm Luke Garrett. Megan is off today. Maryland's primary is upon us, and the race for the governor's mansion is neck and neck for both Democratic and Republican candidates. All are vying to make it to the general election this November. WTOP's Kate Ryan has covered the campaign for months and interviewed so many candidates, I can't count them on my two hands. Kate, thanks for being here. Thank you very much. So one word that really sticks out in my head when thinking about this governor's race is it's unpredictable. And while we can't predict who will win, there is actually a lot to know about who is running. So let's start with the most crowded race for governor among Democrats. According to the latest Goucher poll, it's a dead heat between former chairman of the Democratic National Committee, Tom Perez, Wes Moore, a best-selling author and television host, and Peter Francho, a fixture of Maryland politics and the current state comptroller. So who is each candidate and how are they distinguishing themselves? Yeah, and and it's interesting and I think important to say, too, the poll has been out for weeks now. Mm. And so where do things stand at this very moment? I don't know, but there is no sense that we're out of a dead heat with these top three. Right. So let's let's go into them one by one. Um, let's take a look at Wes Moore. Wes mm. Moore, incredibly charismatic, great on the campaign trail, racked up a star-studded, and I really mean that, mm. uh, string of endorsements. Oprah oh, was whoa. a headliner at a fundraiser for him. So you can see where other people are going, oh, great, Oprah, <laughs> Doesn't what hurt. do I do now? But um, he's both compelling and a little controversial. Compelling because he's got an up-from-the-bootstraps kind of story. He wrote a book on based on that called The Other Wes Moore. Controversial because in the publicity blitz on that book years ago and the publicity surrounding it ever since never dispelled this notion that he was born and raised in Baltimore. Mm. He had some close connection with Baltimore but not born and raised. Mm. And he was asked very directly about that. We asked him about that as well and said that, you know, he's been very transparent about everything in the book and that he stands by his handling of that. Um, He has since corrected a few interviewers when they start to say, and Westmore, born and bred in Baltimore. So uh, that's been a bit of an issue that, of course, his opponents have jumped on, like, ah, is he really the real deal? Um, 
But he is also, um, while he might be light on actual political experience, he has been around political circles for years, very well known in Maryland. And again, he's among the, what do I want to say, orthodox Democrats. Okay. He ticks all the right boxes on things like education, wants to fully fund it. Mm. Um, transportation, wants to do more to make sure it's equitable. In other words, is a, is a jurisdiction getting short shrift that normally, you know, has has been on the bottom of the pile in terms of who gets what. Um, so there's a lot to recommend him among Orthodox Democrats, mm. if I can put it that way. And now moving to Tom Perez, I mean, also a national name here, but also a Marylander. Yes. And here's uh, he's got very deep, very political roots here. He goes back to uh, having worked on them and served on the Montgomery County Council and back in the day was pointing out, talk about equity, the concern over predatory lending to minorities mm. prior to the housing crisis. Wow. So it's almost as though he foresaw this, predicted, uh, talked about it, raised it as an issue, then went on to be um, U.S. Labor Secretary, DNC chair. Mm. Now, among those who think, oh, that means he's a political insider and that's bad, they might see that as a negative. Right. But for Democrats saying it's about time we take back Annapolis, they may be saying that's exactly what we need, someone who knows how to pull the levers of government. He also comes across as a very... Um, a down-to-earth candidate talks about his dad uh, being, you know, blue-collar mm. and a striving family. So that's got a compelling story as well for folks. And so we've got those two kind of national names, but now we have a Maryland name, really, Peter Franchot. I mean, he has been here for a long time in the Maryland government. That's right. Now, again, served in the state house in Maryland, very well-versed on budget issues, even as a state lawmaker, but for the past 15 years has been the state comptroller. And I know some people say it controller, but I use the old-fashioned comptroller. Um, he um, has always voiced support for small business. He paints himself as a maverick, mm. and that irritates the heck out of guys who go, oh, but this is a guy who is an insider to the nth degree. Right. But he always has. Uh, in voicing um, concerns on the Board of Public Works, for example, or the uh, gas prices, right? He's right. the one who wanted a 90-day gas uh, tax holiday, not just 30 days. Again, saying small businesses, the little guy. During COVID, where everyone felt, I think, quite torn about, do we close businesses? How, do, how are we possibly going to help them? Touted himself as championing the uh, small businesses while trying to balance the need to be sensitive and smart on combating a deadly disease. Mm. So this is, uh, again, uh, for those who say, I want a pragmatic person who knows what's going on, he's their pick. But for some people, he also has a reputation as uh, a self-promoter. Mm. And you would think, well, that's what politicians have to do all the time, <laughs> but there are those who find it just, he he really grinds their gears. So it's, it's very interesting. While he is well-known and respected on many counts, he also has managed to find himself on the wrong side of his fellow Democrats from time to time. Mm. So those are the top three that people are looking at. So now moving on to the Republican race, it's really coming down to two candidates, Trump ally Dan Cox and Kelly Schultz, who Governor Larry Hogan endorsed. 
So what do voters need to know about these two candidates? How are they different? Right. Uh, They couldn't be more different. Mm. Um, Although they're members of the same party, Dan Cox, Republican from Frederick, he proudly notes he's been endorsed by the former president, Donald Trump. He's a big supporter of the false assertion that Donald Trump won the 2020 election. Mm. He, for example, did attend the January 6th rally, but points out he left uh, as soon as the former president spoke, or then President Donald Trump spoke. Um, He has pushed very hard for eliminating some curricula in schools, and he is so far to the right that Governor Hogan dubbed him a QAnon whack job. This is not standard... Republican on Republican criticism. So um, that's that's where Dan Cox is. Kelly Schultz, former uh, Commerce Secretary in Maryland, former Labor Secretary in Maryland, worked very closely with Larry Hogan from the days when he was an aspiring gubernatorial mm. candidate. Um, so they, they have a long connection here. She has steered clear of engaging with Cox directly. That's led him to say that, aha, she's afraid of him. And I think politicos look at that as a wise course to take. Mm. You don't want to elevate him. Again, it's an interesting path because Cox can say, I have Trump's endorsement. And the Goucher poll that we've been talking about, by the way, we should say Baltimore Banner is also part of that poll. Um, That poll showed that while uh, folks may have some reservations about Cox, Trump is still wildly popular with many Republicans. Mm. So they may hear Cox, Trump endorsement, he's my guy. Right. Um, While Schultz is pointing out her bona fides, and she would hew very closely to the line that um, Governor Hogan has laid out with giving retirees tax breaks, uh, being pro-business, being very tough on crime, and very strongly pro-police. So... People know what they're getting with her. She's very clear on that. Uh, And it's going to be a fascinating race. This is very unusual to have two Republicans who are so different Mm. in a primary at this point, both of whom are very, very close in the polls. Right. I mean, it's just so tight, both in Democratic and Republican races. Have we seen this before? And do we know why it's so dang close? I, you know, I am not a political historian. I've been around for a long time, but uh, <laughs> that's not my expertise. Uh, but I have to say it's unusual in for me uh, seeing this kind of level. Generally in Maryland, because it's been such a blue state, two to one registrations, Democratic, uh, generally what would happen is the Democrat would pretty much be almost coronated early on, Mm. um, and the Republicans would always see themselves at a disadvantage, but were quick to unite behind one contender. This is uh, kind of, it's anybody's win, and that's what makes it fascinating. Mm. And casting our eyes further down the ballot, there are also some other heated races, namely in Montgomery County for the executive seat, and that's between Mark Elrich and David Blair. What's this race about and why is this one so close? This is fascinating. Well, four years ago, it was this close between the same two people. Wow. David Blair lost to Elrich by 77 votes. 77. Uh, here's a, a plug for every vote counts. Get out there and vote, uh, no matter how you vote. And they again, two people who are wildly different. Elrich has been in politics and the liberal wing of the Democratic Party for years. David Blair, an outsider in that he is a businessman. He's a very wealthy businessman and is largely 
uh, pumping a lot of his own money into his campaign. Mm. He has worked over the past four years to become a more known entity um, and to, as he says, learn more about uh, the concerns of voters. Um, so he, he's been working hard to overcome what handicap he may have as a, well, you know, he's not an elected official. What right. has he ever done? But that may appeal to people who are tired of what they see as career politicians. Elrich recently has run into some trouble. He's mm. been highly criticized, again, by members of his own party. Um, yet he does have, for example, uh, the endorsement of labor groups. So once again, we're in this really tight race. It's it's going to be a nail biter. I can tell you that uh, right. on on every score. Mm. We've been talking about unpredictability, it being so tight. And it's kind of a feeling that we're going to have to get used to because even – on primary day, we likely won't know the results of this election. Can you tell us why? Yes. Um, it's mail-in mail in voting. Mm. And so much will depend on what happens, not even on election day proper, but with the mail-in ballots. More mm. than 500,000 requests were mailed out. How many come back? How many uh, withstand scrutiny? Because, of course, they have to check for signatures. They right. have to be certified. This is going to be a long process. I don't think the state has ever seen such a large number of mail-in ballots. They literally have to be opened and processed. And because Maryland has a law, and it's unique in this regard, that says you can't touch those, think MC Hammers, you can't touch those (laughs) until after Election Day. I liken it to, you know how you have a big printer job ahead of you, so Mm -hmm. you stack a lot of paper in the printer? Right. They can't even put the paper in the printer. They have to wait until after Election Day. Then they can take the paper and start processing it to start the ballot counts. You have the first canvas on Wednesday morning, July 21st, the last canvas, July 29th. Could it be that long, July 29th? Yes, because you have to wait for all the ballots to make it through as long as they're postmarked the 19th. As long as they come through and are received by the 29th, they get counted. Mm. And that's another thing. The elections officials are saying, have faith in this process. It works. And there is nothing unusual about this. Every ballot is always counted in every election. So people shouldn't freak out. It'll take some time. We'll get the results. Kate Ryan, thanks for being here. You got it. And you can find out more about all the primary election races at WTOP.com. Kate and digital reporter Jack Moore wrote an expansive voter guide with all the information you need. And after the break, we talk about a 17-year-old who managed to get on the Howard County primary ballot. Backed by the experience of its hardworking members, Steamfitters Local 602 is ready to take on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project. Steamfitters Local 602 adds value to our community through its partnerships with local contractors and building owners, all while keeping the focus on improving the lives of its members and their families throughout the DMV. For work that's on time and on budget, go to steamfitters-602.org to schedule your next project. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602, changing lives. Thanks for listening to the DMV Download. If you like the podcast, head to our show page, give us a rating, and leave a review. We read all of them and use the suggestions to improve this show that we're so proud of. It also helps other listeners find this, our region's only local daily news podcast. Thanks for making us a part of your day. In Howard County, Maryland, there's a candidate on the ballot who just graduated high school. 
17-year-old Druvak Marani is running for a position on the Howard County Democratic Central Committee. And WTOP digital reporter Ivy Lyons is here to tell us his story. Ivy, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. What really inspired Marani to run and how did he do it? He's 17. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, I really wish I would have had an eighth of the drive that a 17-year-old in Howard County had, but um, he made the decision to go ahead and run after his school became the center of this really kind of heated national discussion for teens ended up getting uh, charged. There was a group of graduating seniors who spray painted racist, anti-Semitic, homophobic graffiti all over school grounds. Some of it targeted at our school's black principal in an overwhelmingly white school. And as a student of color, that was a really scary experience for me. And he used that as an opportunity to kind of not just push for advocacy for minority communities in that area, but he was like, no, you know, uh, we need to be more politically active. He started a club at his school that he ended up becoming the president of, and I believe it was a young Democrats club at the high school. But he made sure that he was integrating everyone into this process, trying to get more teens to vote. And after a while, he he told me that he made the decision, yes, I'm going to go ahead and run for something. As a graduating high school senior, I just graduated this month. I think I owe it to the students who are younger than me here to give back to the community that really shaped me by continuing to shape it. And the Democratic Party here, I don't think, is doing enough to stand up for students to protect young people. I also don't see, um, I think there are few, if any, efforts to engage young people in politics to really invest in the long-term future of our party and our county. And that's why I'm running, because I think I'm really uniquely positioned to change that. And tell us more about this position he's really running for on the Howard County Democratic Central Committee. What does it do and what does he hope to do on it if he gets elected? Right. So that that position is one of a ton of positions, which is why, you know, seeing his name on the primary ticket is just part of it. Right. He is one of many people who is going to be working with the DCCC in Howard County. If he passes the primary phase and is elected into one of those positions, he'd be someone who's doing everything from canvassing for the party to trying to get other people to sign up and get elected in the area. And he can be part of everything from just the basic, hey, here's how you go about running. I'm just trying to go ahead and help you fundraise to helping to pick out some of the candidates that are going to be central to Howard County's electoral process over the course of the next few years. So he's not just having that kind of short-term impact in his community, but really he's going to begin to have his fingers in what the elections look like in Howard County for a little bit if he gets past this primary process and is elected into that seat. And you mentioned as part of his story that, you know, he was trying to inspire his fellow young people, fellow teenagers to vote. A young person putting so much effort into this democratic process is kind of unique and kind of an outlier. Did he talk about that at all? Yeah, it, it, <laughs> throughout our conversations before the interview and right on through it, he kept saying, well, you know, this is unconventional. I'm not saying that it's not. Um, and I, I mean, he said running as a 17 year old is definitely unconventional. It's very uncommon. Whenever he signed up to start this campaign, he also was just graduating high school. He is just starting to get to that point where he'd be going to UMD in the fall. By the time he starts at UMD, he will be a freshman. He says in the story, and he told me that young people 
amid everything that's going on, everything from book bans that are going around the country to more prescient matters, how people are being educated at schools. That's something that people his age have to be invested in if they want to seek change and actually have an impact in their community. And so he's like, hey, you need to go out and vote. You need to go out and do these things. And once you do those things, you will start to see a change in your community. And he says, hey, I'm a 17-year-old. Me being here is going to help get that done. And Marani is 17. Is he going to turn 18 by the general election? I mean, people can't even vote when you're 17. I mean, How does this work? <laughs> yeah, he's uh, when I tell you he's right on the cusp, he's right on the cusp. By the time you'll get to the general election, he'll just be turning 18. So, I mean, people his age, friends that he made in high school, they're not going to be able to vote for him. And some of them might just be getting to that window by the time the election comes around. Ivy Lyons with the story of a 17-year-old who is running and going to be on the primary ballot. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, the indelible Luke Garrett. <laughs> and before we end here, I've got a quick story. So this past week, I was out hiking in Colorado. I was going up to Mount Evans, and it was a beautiful hike. There were purple, red, and blue wildflowers, streams, lakes, steep cliffs, and tons and tons of evergreen trees. It was incredible. And it just made me think about how important nature is just, you know, in general. And on the hike, one of my buddies asked me, you know, when you're back in D.C., do you have places to kind of to go hiking, to go, you know, get outdoors? And he asked it in a way that it kind of assumed as if there wasn't, as if it was just kind of a concrete desert. But there actually are, you know, a ton of places to go out hiking. One of my favorites is Great Falls Park. You know, it's not that far away from D.C. And you can see, I mean, just incredible churning waterfalls right along the Potomac River. And you can go on the Maryland side, you can go on the Virginia side. And it's one of those ones where you can pretty much drive up to it or you can really hike in. You can kind of choose. And then, of course, Rock Creek Park is such a jewel of D.C. It really takes you away from the city. I remember walking in it recently, and I couldn't even hear a car, like, driving as I was walking through Rock Creek Park. It was just so densely green and packed with trees that it really insulated you from the bustling city. And while it's no Rockies, we out here in D.C. have some some pretty beautiful nature that's worth uh, checking out. Anyway, that does it for us today. Thanks for joining us for the DMV Download. We're sponsored by Steamfitters Local 602. Our managing editor is Craig Schwab, and our music is by Real World. Give us a review and rate our show if you get the chance, and follow us on social media where we post content every day. You can find out more about this podcast and become one of our VIP listeners at dmvdownload.com. The DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in D.C., 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland, online at WTOP.com and on the WTOP News app. Have a good one and see you tomorrow.